This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Tom Offerman and Jacob Recht with you here on the Steelers Standard. Talking Steelers defense here in this episode. If you missed our previous episode, breaking down Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers offense, check it out at Steelers.com. Go to the podcast page, click on Steelers Standard. You can find it there. But the defense dominated against the Lions starters in this game. Kind of loose for starters there. I think you had maybe a couple receivers that'll see some playing time in the regular season. You didn't see Jared Goff. You didn't see any other big running backs. So Lions didn't really take it as seriously as the Pittsburgh Steelers did, but you saw every single starter out there for the Pittsburgh Steelers on defense, except for number 90. And I kind of want to start there because I, this whole time, have understood what T.J. Watt's doing, and I have fallen on his side of things, and I'm still very optimistic that either a deal will get done or he will be on the field week one against Buffalo. But, Jacob, there was a part of me in that game against Detroit when I saw every single starter out there except for T.J. Watt that I kind of was like, you know what, man, this is a little like this is where you probably should have at least played. I mean, there's other guys that have worse contract situations than you that are still out there playing with your boys. I mean, this is your chance to get out there as a complete unit Mm -hmm. and just, you know, go through that dress rehearsal together and you're you're the heart and soul of it. You're you're the leader of the defense. You're the best player on the field when the defense is on the field. And you didn't see TJ Watt. And and that was the first time in this whole process where I kind of felt a little bit upset about the fact that he wasn't on the field. He wasn't participating in camp practices and, and the games. Yeah, I mean, that's the one guy that we always say is going I to gu- be. I guess I should clarify, we did not see to it, but that's understandable what he's been through that's and working, working his way Completely back. Yes, reasons. exactly. You cannot blame him for that. But TJ, I can blame a little bit. Can I blame TJ? I don't know if I can blame him, but... This is a guy who, A, is, is a top five player in this league, regardless of position. Top ten for sure, as we top know. Top ten for sure. He made the NFL top 100, top ten. I a lot 10. of people can make the case that he's top five. Yeah. Uh, he might end up top five when they reveal the top ten. Who knows? I'm glad that he made it because we yeah. were saying when, when when the initial episodes were released or the initial list was released when it was, what, 100 through 40, yes. we were saying, okay, we wouldn't hate it if he got somewhere like 12, 11, 13, but we'd be insulted if he were somewhere 14, 15, 16, nope. and he's above all of those. Top 10, going to be one of only two defensive players in the top 10. And he's probably going to fall behind the other guy because Naturally. he just lost to him as the defensive player yeah. of the year. But he's still uh, recognized by peers on the Steelers, peers among the league, coaches, owners, everyone, as one of the best talents in the league. And he's going through a contract negotiation. I mean, you cannot blame the guy. We, you can use the air quotes when you say hold out because it's really a, a hold in. It's not passive because yeah. he's, he's so there. It's not that he's being passive aggressive about it. He's just being passive. He's, he's saving himself, and I think that's the right thing to do. Obviously, with Ben, someone who has to really work his arm up yeah. in, in order to be – regular season ready i'm cool with ben playing on saturday as he did against the lions but someone like tj i really want him to just come out firing week one save himself 
And yes, it would have been nice to see him out there with the other guys, but considering how the other guys played, so you you said you can you can call them starters because not all of them were really out there. But considering how the ones and the twos really played, I mean, think about it, Tom. And the Lions in the first half and then the first drive that they had in the second half, the Steelers only allowed 38 yards total on one, two, three, four, five, six drives. One of them was to end the half uh, in the first half. Mm-hmm. So you could say five yards, but still, or five drives, five drives with a total of 40 yards. Come on now. That, that is as, as great as we want to compliment Ben Roethlisberger. That is equally as great. Defense got a lot of pressure, was able to get some sacks on the Lions. The one thing that you didn't see that you probably wish you'd see was a turnover. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they uh, didn't turn the Lions over at all in this game, and that's something that the Steelers really make their bread and butter on is sacking the quarterback and turning the ball over. But, you know, The starters did only play for about a half of football, if even that, on the defensive side. So I'm sure you'll see plenty of splash in week one against Buffalo and throughout the regular season with those guys. I'm not too worried about their playmaking ability. Uh, The guy who started in the place of TJ Watt, Melvin Ingram, Mm. this dude is a dude, man. Like He is, I think, maybe the biggest steal of the offseason, potentially. I, I think he can definitely get to that level. I think he's healthy. I mean, he looks really healthy on the field right now. And if he doesn't make the Pro Bowl, it's because he's kind of split in time with Alex Highsmith. I think he's Pro Bowl caliber. He had a clowny-esque play when he blew up that oh, yeah. Detroit Lions running back in the backfield. He was there before the ball even got handed off, and he just lit him up. That guy is such an under-the-radar signing from the Steelers, and I'm sitting here scratching my head and saying, how was he available so late into the offseason? Steelers pick him up like a week before camp starts on like a $3 million deal. Such a discount. And I'm just wondering now as we sit here a couple weeks from the season, seeing him play against the Lions, this guy is so good. What were some of the other teams in the NFL doing? Like, what were the Titans doing? I know they got Bud Dupree, but compliment him with they a Melvin Ingram. Him, yeah. Like, compliment other guys that have a good pass rusher. Compliment him with a Melvin Ingram. And he kind of fell in the Steelers' lap. And Bob Labriola said sometimes you get manna from heaven when you're a team like the Steelers. And I think he fits into that category more than a lot of people. I think Highsmith is still the starter. But I will not be surprised if Ingram plays more snaps in games than Highsmith does. I mean, that guy looks dominating right now. This is the problem you want to have, Tom. Yes. You have three guys, and of course one of them is T.J. Watt, but looking to the other two, Melvin Ingram and Alex Highsmith. We were talking about Alex Highsmith the entirety of the, of that first Dallas game. And game in the Eagles Dallas. game, too, but then and, it flipped against the Lions. Like Ingram and that's was, fine. Oh, yeah. I think you should it, – it wouldn't shock me if, they, if you do see Melvin Ingram at the end of the season get a little more snaps – as a higher snap count when you total it by the end of the year. High leverage ones too. You know, Tama might be like, I'm throwing the veteran out there, you know. On third down yeah. or something like that. But you got to go with the guy who's hot. And guess what? There, It wasn't that either of them were cold. It's just Alex Highsmith was hot in the first two and, and Melvin Ingram was hot in this third one. Think about how it works too with when T.J. Watt needs a break. Last year when T.J. Watt needed a break, I mean, who was coming in to help with the pass rush? You know what I mean? It was Bud Dupree's job then. You had one guy that was legitimate, and then the two it's in the Haywards had to pick up the slack up front. Now when Watt puts his hand up and says, I'm feeling a little gassed right now, 
You still have Melvin Ingram and Alex Highsmith coming from both ends, as well as to it and Hayward up front. So there's really not, I mean, there's a drop off because TJ Watt's top 10 player in the NFL, but it's not as astronomical of a drop off as we saw last season whenever Watt needed a blow. And when Bud Dupree went down and Watt needed a blow, I mean, it was like night and day. Rookie Highsmith coming in, having to be the guy then at that point, and then Cassius Marsh or whoever was on the other side. It's a such a massive improvement at that position, and I'm so excited to see how Butler utilizes all three of these guys throughout it's gonna every be hard. single game. I know it's, it is. It's going to be a kind of a chess match, chess match with himself because how do you know which guy to go to in a certain situation? You you had said maybe Tomlin likes to go with Melvin Ingram in higher stakes just because he's been out there for longer and he's he's got the higher pedigree than Alex Highsmith has right now. But that could change. But what Tom. if Highsmith has three sacks in the game or right. something crazy like that? Then you have to play him. It's it's like you said, it's such a great problem to have. And you know what's incredible, too, is we were talking about how versatile Melvin Ingram could be for this team, saying if Robert Spillane is really struggling, you can move maybe Melvin Ingram to the inside and, and keep Highsmith and TJ Watt outside and partner Melvin on the inside with Devin Bush. What do you do now? Because now you have Joe Schobert up there. You're not going to take Joe Schobert out of the game. Joe Schobert is as great of a pass defender uh, as any of those guys on the team. So it's a really good problem to have when you have five linebackers who you're very comfortable starting at any given day. Oh, I think the Steelers have the best linebacking core in the NFL now. Right now, I, I think I, that with, that, with these two guys yes. now on the team, Melvin Ingram and Joe Schobert, I think it's without question. With Highsmith, Schobert, Ingram, Bush, and Watt, they have the best linebacking unit in the NFL. And you throw in the three guys that are in front of them with their hands in the dirt, they have the best front seven in football. I don't think that you can really even debate that at this point. I know there's teams that will probably be close to them. I think the Buccaneers certainly have a case to be close to the Steelers. But I'd lean towards the Steelers over the Buccaneers as far as having the most dominant front seven. And one thing I like about the Melvin Ingram thing too, Jacob, is he's flying under – or excuse me, Alex Highsmith's flying under the radar as far as the national audience is concerned. When Ingram had his big play in the Lions game, you see the NFL account. You see the NFL network account. You see people on highlight shows talking about – what a scary prospect it's going to be to have Melvin Ingram lined up opposite of TJ Watt all year long for the Steelers. And they just don't even realize that that might not even be the case for the most part. And, and, and I love it. I love how under the radar Highsmith has become. Going into this offseason, it was Alex Highsmith has maybe the most on his plate of anybody on that defense. His performance is crucial. And now it's kind of just like a... You know, we have this guy named Alex Highsmith that no one's really talking about because of Ingram, and he might be just as good as Ingram is right now. And I love it. I, it like you said, any way you slice it, this is a great problem to have for the Steelers. Absolutely. It's something that it, – it's crazy, Tom. I, I, I hate to kind of go off on a tangent, but the way this this training camp and offseason and preseason have evolved, so many of what we thought were weaknesses for this team have now become strengths. We were talking about lack of depth on the offensive line, and here we are today. Even though we saw the five guys we were waiting to see all 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 offseason long play together, we didn't even talk about that. We talked longer about Dan Moore becoming right. one of the starting members. We were talking about the lackluster play of Robert Splane and how much of a detriment that could be to the overall defense. And here we are saying, well, now the Steelers have the best linebacking core across the NFL, and there's no question. <laughs> there's no, there's no one even close. And we're not being, you know, hyperbolic fanboy no, homers. We are. It's legitimate. There's no question that they are. 
and you mentioned the addition of Joe Schobert really helped that. What do you think of Schobert in his debut? Kind of felt a little underwhelming to me, but I think that's natural. He got here last week. When you have five guys, obviously TJ wasn't playing, but when you have as, as great of talent across the board from your defensive line to your linebackers, it's not going to be the end of the world if one of them doesn't show up in his first ever game, as you said. I mean, he He's been got, here for five days. He was signed during the Philadelphia Eagles game. Yeah. So he came in with what he's you said five days he's been his on the first team. practice i believe was that saturday or sunday after the Eagles i think game. it had to be sunday sunday after the Eagles or game. maybe even monday but but say that they didn't practice on friday they just because it was the day before the game so you had at most monday tuesday wednesday thursday four days with the team to practice uh, it's not the end of the world that he wasn't joe Schobert that was a pro bowler for the browns or could have been a pro bowler last year for the Jaguars had he not been a Jacksonville Jaguar. One thing I did see from him, there was a play that the Lions made where a tight end got the ball, and it ended up being a first down, and he took Schobert for a ride for about three or four yards, but Schobert was still able to hang on for the ride and bring him down after those three to four yards. Shows how tough he is and shows that even if a tight end gets you know a nice first down on you or takes you for a little bit of a ride – you're not going to be able to shrug off Joe Schobert. He's such a sure-handed tackler that I, I saw that and was impressed about that. It's not like he made massive mistakes out there. You just didn't really see him make any big plays, and I think that you wanted that as Steeler fans to go out there and, oh, 45 with a big tackle for loss or, oh, 45 with a big pass breakup on third down just to, you know, really rubber stamp that move. But, you know, on the other side of it, he didn't make any glaring mistakes where you sit there and go, yeah, that didn't look good from number 45. So, you know, I think you just kind of have him sitting in neutral right now. I think he does play against Carolina for a couple of snaps with Devin Bush for a couple of series. I think you you keep working those two together, that tandem together for as much as you possibly can before Buffalo. And I think you see him play a little bit better, a, a little bit more comfortable against the Carolina Panthers and I think he'll have his feet fully wet by the time it's uh, September 12th. By the time, right, I was going to say, it's most important get him comfortable for that Buffalo game. And honestly... Because he's going to be drawing Cole Beasley, you know what I mean? He's going to be drawing zone coverage a lot in that may, Buffalo game. It may be the best thing to happen to him that he came in so late that he can kind of have like a tune-up game, if you will, against Carolina because Carolina's not going to be putting out... Christian McCaffrey or Darnold, Sam Darnold yeah, none or of the starters Robbie Anderson yeah. or any of the receivers there. He's going to have an opportunity to go up against the third string, fourth string guys when he's going to be a starter in this league and kind of just freshen up a little bit, get get some confidence flowing. I think it's a really good opportunity for him. And really, you got to do everything you can to, to best prepare yourself for September 12th against Buffalo because we know it's going to be – it's going to take a lot for the Steelers team to win in Buffalo Week One. You you don't think it's that far fetched to play Bush as well though, opposite him. I think it makes. I think Bush is probably ready, but in I think order, it just makes sense to get that tandem going in order together. to get some chemistry going, some trust. That was something Devin Bush talked about a lot when he spoke to the media before Joe Schobert arrived. Was I have to work on this with Spillane because we've never played with each other. We don't really know our. We obviously, from tape, know each other's strengths and weaknesses, but when you're playing out there, it's a totally different thing than just watching tape. you got to learn to work with the guy. And, yeah, I think it's a good thing. It's a good idea. It's a good strategy to get Devin and Joe out there as much as you can before week one. 
Yeah, I, it's I th- all about the preparation. For, at this point, it's all about the preparation. We're done with training camp. We're done with three preseason games. It's all about what you can do to best prepare yourself to win in Buffalo. You're wearing that green dot, too, if you're Schobert. Uh, you had it in the Lions game, and you were there for, like we said, five, six days. So, yeah, I think just as far as getting the communication down, like the, the main reason, Dale Lawley, when he was on with Mark Madden, said, you know, the main reason that you're playing Ben Roethlisberger here is communication from Canada in the booth to ben, Ben's helmet, Ben calling the plays to the offense, you know, just practicing that stuff. It's the same thing with Joe Schobert in that defensive side of the ball. Uh, just keep giving him as many mental reps as possible, a series, maybe two series, then pull him out of there and get yourself ready for the Buffalo Bills game on September 12th. Looking at the secondary, I want to talk about Minka Fitzpatrick because he didn't make you know amazing star-studded plays, but you saw him everywhere. You see number 39 almost everywhere around the ball. Uh, that play I talked about where Schober got taken for a ride by the tight end, he eventually brought him down, but it was cleaned up by Minka Fitzpatrick who came flying in and threw a shoulder at the tight end. The guy is all over the field, and I think he's one of the most cerebral safeties in mm, the NFL. Look at that word. People, you know, I, I kind of did a little looking at Minka Fitzpatrick based on a Twitter topic that got brought up from some college football people that I follow, and the topic was, who was the best defensive player in Nick Saban's tenure? Talking D-lineman, linebacker, or defensive back, and a lot of people were kind of just sitting there and going, you know what, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think it was Minka. I think Minka Fitzpatrick was the best defensive player he's ever had at Alabama. He was like a mini Saban on the field. He knew. He could just read it. He was a coach out there. And I think you see that in the NFL. I think you're going to start seeing that more and more. This is his third year in Pittsburgh now. So he's really comfortable. He's a veteran in that locker room. Don't be surprised. You know, uh, one of the big questions that people pound their fists about is who's going to be the leaders on the Steelers? We know we have Hayward. We know we have Ben. But who's going to be the next guy to step up and be a leader? Minka Fitzpatrick's the favorite in the clubhouse for me as far as that's concerned. And I think, Jacob, this is hard to believe because he's a back-to-back first-team All-Pro. This might be an even more of a breakout year for him where I think he stamps himself as, I'm the best safety in football. Because I think mentally, he's there more than all the other safeties. And then, of course, he has all the physical tools in the world. He absolutely does. And we could talk about the the guys surrounding him and in a little bit of time from now, but... I think it's important to say the best way to get the most out of Minka Fitzpatrick is to let him, as you kind of said, just be so reactive to everything around him. Let him read the ball. Let him read the field the way he wants to. Let him react the way he wants to. Don't really give him too many strong assignments. That's the definition of a free safety, that you kind of let him be that that hitman that needs to come in and, and does the cleanup if, if Joe Schobert does kind of struggle to bring down a guy or if there's a added coverage that's needed, he can swing over to the left or right or, or go deep if needed if need be. That's the beauty of Mickey Fitzpatrick. His ability to read the field allows him to do or to to not just clean up, but to make the play when no one else not that they couldn't do it themselves, but with the addition of Mika Fitzpatrick on the field, it's more of a guaranteed thing that the play will be made. He's got a chip on his shoulder as well. The Madden rating, we all know about that. and Who cares really that much about that? I'm sure he took that into account. But I think the one thing that probably he looks at and says, uh-uh, that ain't going to fly, 
is being number 52 in the NFL top 100 with guys like Buda Baker showing up at like number 19. I mean, Buda Baker's a great safety. Don't get me wrong. He ain't Minka Fitzpatrick. I'd rather have Minka Fitzpatrick. And who's the one guy from Denver? I mean, I Justin Simmons yeah. came in in front of him. Come on. It was very bizarre to see that. And I think that Minka's a guy that he doesn't put his head down or pout about things like that. I think he stops and says, I know I'm better than Justin Simmons. I know I'm better than Buda Baker. Like, it's time to really turn it up this year. And I think he uses it more as a motivational factor than he does as a, oh, woe is me. I should be number one safety. There's three guys in front of me, blah, blah, blah. Nah, that's not his DNA. His DNA is, okay, His you, DNA think, is... you think I'm behind two guys? Talk to me at the end of 2021 when I have another five interceptions on the season. His... And I'm just making play after play after play, leading my team in tackles. His DNA is, I'm going to go out there and be a first-team all-pro guy. Third year in a row. That's I don't I don't care about your lists. I know that my performance merits first team all pro and it's happened every year I've been with a competent defense. Obviously when he was with Miami his first year it wasn't the same team that it is now. But when he's on a good defense, a team that has a legitimate base to it and knows how to run a team like the Rooneys do, he's gonna go out there and be this first team all pro guy year in and year out. Just for, you know, clarification, the three safeties that came in front of him off the top of my head, there might be another one, were Jamal Adams in Seattle, Justin Simmons, and Buda Baker. I believe that Minka is better than all three of those guys. I think Jamal Adams is a little overrated, to be quite honest. He's a really good blitzer as far as the safety is concerned. Great. You're, you're, you're a... a, a, a... You're a finer version of Mike Hilton. Congratulations. And the guy who finished behind Minka Fitzpatrick is actually the only guy that I would be comfortable putting in front of him, maybe, and that's Teron Matthew, the honey badger in Kansas City. So NFL players doing a little bit of a bizarre judging of the safeties around the league as far as I'm concerned. But I think Minka is a captain in his DNA and I think a leader on this defense, second-best player on this team next to T.J. Watt and – uh, we talk about him being the first team all pro, and I think TJ Watt's obviously the front runner for defensive player of the year. So it's tough when you have your own teammate in front of you in that race. But I think Minka's going to throw his hat into some defensive player of the year conversations. Maybe not this year, but he'll be there at some point in his career. He'll be a top three candidate at one point, I bet. If Stefan Gilmore can win defensive yeah. player of the year, Minka Fitzpatrick is more than deserving of winning it on any given year. And I do think, Tom, that now we can transition talking about to the other guys mm -hmm. playing in the secondary, especially the cornerbacks. Again, this is something where I think we've kind of talked ourselves into saying something that we consider a weakness, not necessarily a strength, but we're no longer overly concerned about it. And when you have those guys stepping up and, and, and performing with the potential that you thought they had, that allows Mika Fitzpatrick even more so to be the defensive player of the year caliber type of guy that he, we think he is. Cam Sutton didn't do anything wrong in that game. Joe Hayden didn't do anything wrong in that game. You barely noticed Hayden. Well, Joe Hayden all. almost had that diving interception. He always is pretty so close impressive to, the ball. to do at his old age. He's I mean, always around that ball. He always has those those very close calls. If you could go back and track the close calls for Joe Hayden, I bet he'd almost double his actual I mean, interception. The one total. that always comes to mind for me that he didn't get was the game against the Rams two years ago when the Rams were driving on their final or on the final drive of the game. And he had the near interception and a diving effort, but tipped the ball, and it just happened to fall into the hands of Megan Fitzpatrick to lock the game up. Oh, but it was Joe Hayden's, it was Joe Hayden's ball that got there. Always great to not hear much from your cornerbacks, though, in games. And as far as James Pierre is concerned, I heard Williamson say this on the postgame show, and he seems to be giddy about it. 
the Steelers think they got a dude. They got a James guy. Pierre. Like they, Kevin Colbert thinks that he pulled a fast one on the league. This guy was sitting there as an undrafted free agent after seven rounds had gone by in 2020. He picks him up. He jumps over Justin Lane and starts against the Cleveland Browns at the end of the year when Joe Hayden was out. And I think that Colbert's sitting back in his chair and he's saying, everybody was making such a big deal about letting Mike Hilton go, letting Steven Nelson go especially. You don't let Steve Nelson go if you don't think you have a dude in James Pierre. I think that that's something we should have read into a little bit more back then, although James Pierre really emerged in this training camp mm-hmm. period. But, uh, you know, you, you, you got you to gotta give the benefit of the doubt to a Hall of Fame GM that he's just not dropping Steven Nelson for no reason at all. There's a reason in his mind why he's doing that, and I think it's becoming clearer and clearer that the reason is number 42, James Pierre. It's incredible because at the end of the year last year, you were saying, oh, why are we seeing so much of James Pierre? I get that they're, I guess, trying to work him in, but I'd rather see just Joe Hayden and Steve Nelson out there. I don't really want to see too much of Justin Lane and James Pierre. And now we're sitting here and we're, after what Williams had said, we kind of uh, we kind of had to agree with him. Kevin Goldberg does think he he pulled a fast one on the league. And everyone, including the Steelers, passed up on this guy seven times at the least. I and mean. now, and now, he has as locked on of a roster spot as any other guy who's starting for this team. I think he's won the third cornerback job. I know that's different than who's going to be the nickel guy, but as far as true outside corner, he's number three, he's number three. on that roster. Sutton or Hayden goes down; he's the first one that jumps in. Uh, and if they do need to bump Sutton into the nickel, I think they're more than comfortable with. With James Pierre, the biggest problem they're having is Antoine Brooks not playing, not staying healthy. Mollette has a couple of nice plays in the game against the Lions. Mollette's going to make the team too. He's a good special team. I think both. He's yeah, a good special team. Mollette and Brooks what. should be locked. They in. want Brooks to be that guy though. They want him desperately to be the nickel and keep Sutton on the outside. His health just doesn't seem to be working out. And it's all fun and games when you want to do this and you want to do that. But when Cole Beasley is carving you up against Buffalo for ten yards at a time you got to put Sutton on the inside to cover Cole Beasley and put James Pierre on the outside. So I think Pierre is going to give them the opportunity to do that, where at the beginning of the camp when they said we want to keep Sutton on the outside, they were probably less than optimistic about either Pierre or Lane's ability to jump up and be that number three guy. And Pierre, I think, has won the job no matter what. I think that's done. That position battle is over. Justin Lane will still make the team as a special teamer. In Justin the, Lane got a half corner. sack. Let's give him some credit. No, he's I mean, been okay, but he's been passed as far as the depth he's, charts. He's concerned. nowhere near the play of James Beer. James Beer, when we came into camp, we were thinking who's going to step up between Pierre and G- and Justin Lane, and it's not that it's been a tight race. It's it's been a runaway train by James Pierre to take that spot. Well, this episode is in the books for us here on the Steelers Standard. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. If you missed our last episode talking about the offense or you want to repeat this episode because there's so much good stuff that you just need to hear it twice before it really sinks in. I mean, who doesn't love talking about Steelers defense in this city? Uh, everybody this does. Is, Could this do it is for as hours. juicy of, of a piece of meat to bite into and gnash as there is anything. 
Go to Steelers.com, bite your teeth down into the Steelers Standards podcast. And while you're there, after you listen to us, you can go ahead and listen to The Drive and The Blitz if you want to. You don't have to listen to those ones, though. They I, don't have I, as much I guess you can. How much, but you like definitely... We, we've been alive for 26 years. You know, they've been doing this for 26 <laughs> years. Who's really more more appealing there? You definitely want to listen to all of our great podcasts at Steelers.com. we got the best Steelers coverage in town. Bar none. On our next episode, we're going to take a little break from the Steelers, though, and look around the NFL. A lot of preseason action going down and some big news out of Chicago that will kick around next. He's Jacob Recht. I'm Tom Opperman. You've been listening to the Steelers Standard, and thanks, as always, for listening to Steelers Nation Radio.